sooner or later, it gets down to people. You will see a very successful CEO interviewed, and when she is asked about the reasons for her success, what are those two or three secrets that she has that no one else seems to have, and she will say, it's the people. And she will immediately begin to name the people on her team that have done all of the good work for which she is being credited. Ask any coach, and they will respond with a worn out cliche, it's not about the X's and the O's, it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Sooner or later, it gets down to people. It's one of the first real lessons you learn when you pastor a church. You have spent most of your life until that point studying theology and studying the New Testament, uh, learning how to write your papers and make sure your arguments line up A, B, C. And then you get out and you deal with real people in real life and you realize it doesn't line up that way. Sometimes your argument is C, A, B. <laughs> They don't live, you don't live in outline form. It's too messy. And there are a lot of times you find yourself going, yes, I know what the doctrine is. Yes, I know what the teaching is. But, and you will name the person's name. We're gonna read one sentence at the end of Timothy's letter, the one that Paul wrote to Timothy. And it's interesting to find out that probably both Paul and Timothy had learned this really hard lesson that sooner or later, it's about the people. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we turn to the end. of Paul's second letter. We're gonna read verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it and live. Let's pray together. We don't know what happened in Mark's life. We don't know what happened in Paul's life. We can kind of surmise from this moment in the setting of the letter that both of them had found out that it's about people. So we pray as we read this letter, as we understand their story, that we like them will learn that for you, for your church, it's about the people. And we pray this in your name, amen. Well, this is the last of the series of a series of sermons on Barnabas. 
and Barnabas isn't even in the story. We read the last letter that we think Paul wrote. We read the last paragraphs that we think Paul wrote. And it's an instruction to Timothy to, to bring certain manuscripts, to bring a favorite coat. Uh, Paul most likely is in prison in Rome, and he begins telling Timothy about all the people who have deserted him. He's there by himself. Only Luke is left. So when you come, he said, bring Mark. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Last story we heard uh, about you and John Mark, Paul, you wouldn't have anything to do with Mark. In fact, when, when Barnabas said, we want to take John Mark with us on this second missionary journey, you got so angry that you wouldn't even take Barnabas. You ended up taking Paul, uh, Silas, and it was Paul and Silas went one way, and Barnabas and Mark went another way. And after that, we don't hear anything about Barnabas, very little about Mark, except that Mark is in a handful of New Testament letters, and he's always at the end. There's always Mark sends greetings. And he's at the end of 1 Peter, he's at the end of Colossians, he's at the end of Philemon, he's mentioned here. You get the idea that John Mark photobombed the New Testament. That, that wherever they were taking a picture in the early church, John Mark would jump in and, and somebody would have to add later, yeah, that's John Mark. What happened? What happened from, no, John Mark will not go, and I will break up the partnership of Paul and Barnabas rather than take John Mark, to a request to Timothy to bring John Mark when you come. We don't know. There's no story. There, there's no um, letter between Paul and John Mark. There's no, there's no rumors of their reconciliation. We don't know. Here's what we do know. That people are still pretty much people. Whenever we read the Bible and, and when we, we try to understand human nature and all of that, the one thing that you get is, you know, we haven't changed all that much. That's my problem with evolution. We just haven't evolved all that much. We're just kind of the same. You would think we would have learned some lessons. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is, um, is the parable, I mean, is the story of the four guys who, who brought their sick friend to Jesus. You remember that story, they tore, tore a hole in the roof and let Jesus in? That's one of the funniest stories, and why? Because if you're a guy, you know exactly what happened. They grab their sick friend, they run him over, they try to get there, then they begin to see it. there's too many people there. The guy's on the blanket because they picked up his blanket and each one's got a corner. They've jostled him through the streets. He's, guys, that was a great effort. I love you, but it's just too many people. It's not going to work. I love you. And one of them would have said, guys, you know what happened. One of them would have said, the only way we can get through is the roof. One of the other guys would have said, and you know it. You know, when I was a kid, I tore a hole in the roof. <laughs> you know, it's really not that hard. Another guy would have said, you know, we wouldn't have to be a big hole. We can fold him. 
You know that happened, right? And the, oh, the whole time, the friend's going, uh -uh, guys, you would not do that to me. Oh, yes, we would, yeah, right? And, can you, and you always think it's a 12-foot ceiling, you know? You always think it's in the middle of a cathedral. It's not. It's a home. It's, about, it's barely six feet. And these guys would have dropped Jesus, uh, this man in front of Jesus, and for, he would have been spinning in front of Jesus, swinging, eyeball to eyeball, <laughs> telling Jesus, this is not my fault. I was laying back down there, and these guys, getting those guys came and got me. I, this is not my fault. <laughs> we haven't changed all that much. You know that's what happened. So what happened with John Mark? We don't know. Here's what we can guess. He grew up. I have a friend who says you need to find everybody you knew before you were 30 and apologize. <laughs> the situations that Paul, uh, that, that Mark is mentioned in is always one of a background. Mark is here. He's working. Mark is... It sends greetings. Mark is with us. He sends greetings. Paul uses two very interesting words when he calls for Mark, useful and ministry. Useful and ministry. When he dismissed Mark earlier and wouldn't take him on the mission journey, he was neither useful nor fit for the ministry. Paul dismissed him. We don't know what happened on that first missionary journey. We can probably guess that, Paul, uh, that Mark would have been young when Paul and Barnabas took him, uh, and he would have thought that they would have had the same reception maybe that they were having in their home church, and he realized when he got out on the mission field, it's hard, and, and people were mean, and people were rejecting their message, and Paul and Barnabas were in danger, and John Mark with them, and you can't blame the young man for being afraid and wanting to go home. But for Paul, that was desertion. Mark would have grown up. He would have found a way to be useful to Peter, be useful to Paul, be one of those guys who is always there to do the next thing. You know, you have, you have people on your team who are just, uh, uh, you know, who can just do the next thing who can just do whatever it is and think of it before you do that make the team work. John Mark seems to have been that guy. We think John Mark wrote down the, the memories of Peter and his, and his time with Jesus, and that's where we get the first gospel. And now, in a time when Paul is probably at his lowest, he knows he's not going to get out of prison. He can see the handwriting on the wall. His friends have deserted him. Others are on mission, but a lot of people he counted on have left him. So in the last moment of my life, who is it that I want with me? Timothy, I want you come before winter. And when you do, bring John Mark. Why? What was important for Paul? If you read his letters, you want, you'll see this phrase over and over, that my work be not in vain. Paul did not want to give his life for the gospel. 
and know it wasn't going to be carried on. So he wanted to see Timothy. He wanted to see John Mark and know that the ministry would be carried on. Mark would have grown up. What, what happened in Paul's life? We don't know. We have a hint. And the hint is found in the letter to Philemon. Philemon was written from Rome. Paul, uh, it was written about the same time toward the end of Paul's ministry. And Paul writes to Philemon. And what does he write? I know Onesimus is wrong. I know you have rights. But I'm asking you to forego these rights and receive Onesimus as a brother. And if you read the letter slowly and kind of watch between the lines, you can see Paul telling uh, Philemon, not only do I want you to receive him as a brother, but I want you to send him back to me so he can help me in the ministry. I know he did wrong but I'm talking about Onesimus. You see, Paul learned. It's about the people. It's about Onesimus. It's about John Mark. It's about people that we know. And I know we throw around a lot of, of big numbers and big terms and all of that, but sooner or later, it gets down to the person you are. And it gets down to the person that you know. That's why we've been talking about Barnabas. That's, that's why we've been talking about uh, everything that's ahead uh, of our church right now. If you were given the card earlier. Why don't you take a few minutes and just get hold of it right now. Let's walk through this because this is an incredible moment in the life of our church. Now, let me, <laughs> yeah, I, I am prone to enthusiasm. I am prone to, 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 to dreaming big, thinking big, because I think God is up to big things. I will remind you, for those of you who say I'm just a dreamer, you're sitting in my dream. Uh, we are in 409 Franklin Road, and we started talking about a place. So you're here uh, be, because of, of the way that the Lord lets me see things. And I come back to you, and I say, I believe the Lord has shown me some things. And you have said in the past, yeah, that's right. And we have aligned our work and our ministry to do that. So just because I dream a lot doesn't mean I'm crazy. It doesn't mean I'm not crazy, but... The two necessarily aren't synonymous there. And, and, and I say that to tell you, listen, there are lots of churches, lots of places. None of them have the opportunity to make a kingdom impact that we do. When you look at the doors that the Lord is opening for this church, um, I, I told you last week, uh, Aaron Bryant was invited to Harvard, Harvard Graduate School, he reminds us, Harvard Graduate School, to talk about the influence of a faith community on a local school, because Harvard is studying these things. And when Nashville 
public schools was invited to that conference, they asked Aaron to go with them. Now, I want you to hold on to that. Just, just hold on. In a world where we're told that the church can't get into schools, where Jesus has been thrown out of schools, our church is invited to go to conferences to tell them how we minister to schools. So hold on to that. I mean, those are the doors that are being opened uh, for, for, for our congregation. That's why this moment, and it's why it starts with you. You've heard us talk about 500,000 gospel conversations. And you go, wow, that's a huge number. Until you realize that for every member of Brentwood Baptist Church is a couple of times a month. And what we're talking about is being ready, being prayed up for that time when the conversation will open up. When someone will give you an opening or ask a question and you'll be able to say, this is who I know Jesus to be. This is who he is in my life. This is what he's done for me. A gospel conversation that comes out of the overflow of who Christ is in your life. Are you willing to commit to do that, say three in the next 90 days? That's what the top of that card is about. Are you willing to be trained and how you'll be able to respond to those? Listen, some of us have, have, have friends who have unique situations, and so some training about how to respond to people with their background might be helpful. Would you tell us who you're praying for? Is there not anyone around you that Jesus is breaking your heart for? What about you as a disciple? Are you willing to commit to be part of a group? Guys, you have to be in a group. Uh, now, the ladies do this better than we do. Guys, you have to be in a band of brothers. You have to have five or seven guys around you who know who you are, know where you are, that you could call if you got put in jail. Now, one friend reminded me, hey, you know, that's great, you got people who can call. A good friend, somebody you call, your best friend sitting next to you in jail, right? <laughs> going, I don't know how we're gonna get out of this one. Do you have people around you who are calling you out to your best self? That's accountability. Everybody says, you know, it's getting in everybody's stuff and yelling at everybody, it's not. Somebody who knows you, this is who we know you are. This is who we know you to be, and we want you living out your best self. Do you have anybody that can call you on your junk? On those times you get to feeling sorry for yourself and you start whining, do you have anybody who'll walk up to you and say, are we sending a guest list to this pity party? Guys, you gotta be in a band, you won't make it by yourself. You gotta be in a group of couples, you gotta be with somebody that you're sharing the word with, that you're sharing your life with. Are you willing to be trained to lead one? 
Are you willing to get into place and find out how you are gifted, how you're wired, and then work with a coach to find the best place where you can be deployed to make a difference for the kingdom of God? The first reformation is giving the word back to the people. The second reformation is giving ministry back to the people. Some of the pastors of these hundred churches we're talking about are going to be you. Some of the worship leaders of these hundred congregations we're talking about is you. I know you're going, I won't ever do that. That's the first sign you're called. Everybody I know who does what I do, their first response was, I'll never do that. And here we are, wouldn't do anything else. What about your finances? Are you willing to get your budget together? Some of you are scared to death of your money. Honestly, Jesus never intended for you to live in 30 days of anxiety. Are you willing to work to a tithe? And if you do tithe and work beyond that to generosity, everybody's got a next step and it involves your total life. All of you, from growing more to be like him, to knowing more about him, to sharing that with your friends and the people who are around you, to supporting that as Barnabas did, not only with your resources, but with your total life. And that moment is now. This is our Barnabas moment for me and Jeannie included. We believe God is asking us to start a hundred healthy congregations. Now I know you're going, Mike, this is the buckle of the Bible belt. There are churches on every corner. No, there are buildings on every corner. There are not healthy congregations. Now one of the reasons we need to start a hundred is not everybody likes the same flavor. There's a reason Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors of ice cream. So we'll start different types of churches for different ethnic groups, different language groups, different worship styles, different teaching styles, different ministry styles. All of that makes a difference. And we'll be training those leaders who will go from our church to start those congregations throughout Middle Tennessee. Two point six million people are unchurched in Middle Tennessee. 2.6 million. We believe the Lord is calling us to reach out to families with special needs children. There's not a church in the area that does this ministry on that kind of scale. Several times this week, I've had people pull me aside and say, is your church ready for this? So what do you mean? I said, is your church ready for this? Because if you build that facility, people with special needs children will come from everywhere. Are you ready for that? That building will cost somewhere around $5 million. We believe God is calling us to make a real difference in the lives of people who are trying to get out of poverty. 
And so that's why we have the par partnership with Project Connect, to find an apartment complex, to work with them, to train the, the people that are coming out of poverty, coming out of rehab with no place to live, uh, coming off the street and you're not able to get an apartment. Be able to work with these families so they can do that, so they can have a place to live while they're being discipled, while they're being trained, while they're being taught on how to go on a job interview. So that cycle doesn't tear another generation apart. We believe God is calling you and me, Brentwood Baptist Church, to do this. And it's going to take all of us taking our next step. So our ushers will come forward. If you have filled this card out, if you'll tear it off, or if you have it, as Daniel led you to tear it off later. If you'll just pass it to the end of the rows, and our ushers will pick it up. Will you do that now for me? thy faithfulness oh god my father there is no shadow of turning with thee thou changest not thy compassions they fail not as thou hast been thou forever will be great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies i see all I have needed, thy hands hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. However the Lord has come to you whether it is be part of what Brentwood Baptist Church is doing and come be part of our fellowship, we would welcome you into the family. Our counselors are standing out at a table and you'll see in the atrium called Next Steps. We'd, we would love to help you get that process started or perhaps you're here and this is the first time you have thought about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love to have the chance to explain that to you, who you are in Christ, to know the difference that he can make in your life, I beg you, do not go home today without knowing that difference. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the choices we make.